Are we starting? Oh, oh, no, I'm just joking. I knew we were starting. Come on now. What's up? This is the third episode we are shooting today. Get Down Podcast, where we hustle harder than everybody else. And we're able to do it because of Dragon Energy. The power is yours. Yours. Mine. <laughs> and now let me just, let's, let's just run it back. I want to do it more confidently. You take your mask off? <laughs> oh my god I, I honestly didn't even know I had it on <clears throat> I think I matched that today do I? what? Matching. oh yeah. hey this is the third episode we're shooting today get down podcast and we were able to do it because of dragon energy the, the power, power is, is yours, yours. And this is keeping me going, honestly, after the night I had. And it's also brought to you by 902 Lit. Support them. I was looking fresh. You know, homie that runs it, Jeff, solid dude. Support local. Help get somebody's kids music lessons instead of buying some asshole a Ferrari. 902 Lit. Buy that shit. Dragon Energy, keep yourself moving. The power is yours. Anyways, all the plugs been done. Now let's plug you. Me? Actually, that came out wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fuck, we have fun here, don't we? We try. try. (laughs) I do, at least. (laughs) Who do we got in the building today? Kevin Beal, owner of Black Buffalo Records. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. It's honestly, uh, when we started doing the podcast, you were one of the first people... Uh, I thought of because of just the way you bridge so many different people together. Like that's something that you've been really good at yeah. since the incarnation of uh, Black Buffalo as a record label. Yeah, my partner Kamud and I like to try to consider ourselves as the Switzerland of the uh, underground hip hop because there's a lot of battling egos and tripping mm. fools, and even with the closest you know, brothers that you have and sisters, you're always going to fight, right? Oh, yeah. So um, over the past few years, Black Buffalo has become kind of neutral ground. So you got to check your egos at the door. We don't put up with any of your bullshit. And if you're beefing with somebody that um, is on the label or something, like I, I don't I don't get down with that. You can fuck right off, right? So yeah. you don't you don't bring that shit into Black Buffalo. It's it's neutral. You, you keep... you. You deal with your beefs outside, and mm-hmm. when you're when you're on the label, it's all a family, right? Yeah, especially if your beef is some <laughs> stupid little shit. Yeah, but it, you know, I know it is. You know, with with careers going back twenty and thirty years, you're always going to come into times where you're on the outs, right? You know, even you know everybody knows the trials and tribulations of like Joe Run and Buck sixty five, and you know how they fall out, but they're they're good they're good dudes now, right? So. Mm. You may have your times and you may not uh, get along at a certain point in your career. Or, you know, everybody matures at a different, a different rate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, that, that is not what the label is about. The label is about, you know, promoting the music and the art. We mm. fucking care about your, your personal problems. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right? To be honest. And, like, you've always been about the music. Yeah. Like, the, you the music love... Comes first. It's music. It's, that's you music. love music. And I feel like you really appreciate the opportunity to put out and share music 
that you like. Yeah, that's that's that, that's that's a very good uh, uh, observation, uh, Paolo. Man, that that's you know when I was a fourteen-year-old, Kevin Beal was all about just you know sharing music with his friends. Mm. That's what forty-seven-year-old Kevin Beal is doing now. Yeah, <laughs> right, but on a bigger scale, and you know I appreciate the. The opportunity that hip hop has given me, um, I've, I've been a fan for you know, probably when I was like eight years old or something is when I first got my Fat Boy cassette, mm. right? Um, ever since then, that you know, hip hop has given me a lot of enjoyment. Um, and then one day, in walks Joe Run into my store, and hip hop has given me an opportunity. It's mm. like, all right, here you go. And uh, ever since then, it's just been you know. I, I see the opportunity and recognize, you know, all the hard work people have put into it, and and for me to, you know, kind of fuck around with that is, you, you can't. So you got to respect it. You got to do the best you can. You got to work as hard as these guys have done. Mm. Right? So, it's it's a mutual respect, right? Absolutely. It has to be like, you know, uh, especially like in your position, right? Like, if somebody's gonna trust you to distribute and promote their work, right? Exactly. Like, what, what I'm talking about was Joe Run coming into my store one day and saying, hey, do you want to put my record out? Right? It's like, yeah. um, to have, you don't get those opportunities just to fall on your lap. So, right? did, so like, did the transition into being a label, because Black Buffalo started with the record fairs, you were yeah, saying? Yeah, back in, well, even before the record fair, I, I don't really remember the chronological, um, Precisely, but you know, um, late 2008, 2009, um, I started selling records out of my garage. Um, basically, I just being a being a hound of records and and not necessarily buying records for you know um, listening to hip hop. Sorry, uh, it, it, it was more of just buying records, um, you know, to find different beats. Mm. Um, just more of a, I'm not a I'm not a beat maker or anything like that, but you know, a bedroom DJ maybe at the best. Mm. So you know, trying to find these different breaks and records and stuff it accumulate over time, mm. and you, you get a lot of shit to be quite honest. So you got to get, you can't keep it all. You got to get rid of it. Um, so you know, with a, a couple of influences from a close, a close buddies of mine, they're like, yeah, man, just start selling your shit out of your garage. I'm like, yeah, well, fuck it, why not? And ever since then, didn't look back. Um, Mm. The the vinyl resurgent was just starting back then, right? So vinyls were or records were. I hate to say anybody says vinyls. Um, records are uh, <laughs> records are you know were 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 coming cool again, right? Like everybody was uh, starting to get into it. The the price of records were you know, relatively cheap. You can still you could you can buy them for find them for you know fifty cents to a dollar kind of thing. Like, so back then, I don't know. 15 years ago, it was, it was easy to buy lots of records and you can pull out the 10 or 20 that you wanted and, mm. you know, flip the rest kind of thing, right? So that's that's really where I started. Um, then getting, having some success out of the garage, I met a few people and we opened up a, a cooperative store called Plan B on Goddard Street mm -hmm. uh, across from Alter Egos. And I ran records out of there for a couple of years and then just... Again, just kept on growing. I grew out of that space and got our own space on West Street. And uh, after that, the place was getting too small. Um, we, uh, my partner and I, Kamud, we we had a, another great opportunity that came into our 
in, into our lives, and uh, we, we were able to buy the the remaining record collection from the CBC archive. Oh, right. So there's um, probably some gems in there. We had over thirty thousand pieces of music. Wow! Like a, an eighteen wheeler pulled up on my my driveway, and we had fifteen pallets of music. I can bitch picture right? you being like so. So excited, <laughs> like just like oh. it's just it, it, a library of music of the Maritimes from like 1960 to the 90s. Just here it is, right? Mm. Um, before it was uh, sold to me, though, uh, a few of the local DJs, uh, one in uh, in particular, Fester, was mm. able to pick through it, right? So Fester was carved out a really good chunk of the good stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Um, but Whenever you get let producers have the first dibs. The funny thing is, it, you know, he knew where the, that collection went to. It went to Black Buffalo. And as soon as I was able to process it and get it on the shelves, one of my first customers was Fester. Mm. Right. And that's when I got first introduced to Fester. Mm. And he was like, man, I, I used to work at CBC. I knew this collection. But he came in and he, he said he missed a lot. Like there was so much. There's just so much he did not uh, was able to pick off the front. But. He came in. He was a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good customer um, when we moved to West Street. So, at, at that point, we were starting to kind of curate the collection to be more of a, more for DJs, more for beat makers. Right? Mm. Uh, and then we had a lot of guys come through the door, uh, and I think that's when it kind of got on Joe Run's radar. He came in a few times. He brought in Sean One. Um, he brought in a, a, a lot of guys. And then, you know, like uh, Scratch Bastard would stop by. Mm -hmm. um, other guys, it just, it, it just started to circulate. Oh, this is the place where you can find some gems, right? Mm. Um, we eventually moved on to uh, Cornwallis Street. That was our last spot before we shut her down. Um, but we had some really good parties there. Um, that, and that's where, you know, introduced to, to Moves and see. Um, we would have uh, some parties for um, celebrating just Record Store Day or just... Just wanted to have a have a drink, yeah. <laughs> so we'd have a party, right? So, um, yeah, um, that's when the community really started to to kind of embrace Black Buffalo mm. when we were on Cornwallis Street, and uh, and that's Joe Run came in the day uh, one day and said, "Hey, do you want to put out a record?" We did, and it's five years after that we're now at number thirty-five. We've released thirty-five records now, right? Mm. So it's so it, like the the transition into a label, kind of fell into your lap. Absolutely, in a way. yeah. If it wasn't for Joe Run, there would be no label. Like Joe Run came to you when he came to the shop, and he's like, "Do you want to drop this record?" Yeah. And you're like, "Cool." Yeah. So you do he, that. He came in a few times before that. We kind of got a relationship, uh, friendship, uh, just. But to what level was it you that was like, "Oh, that was cool." Well, I was. I want to pursue this. I was like, a fan. I knew the. I knew the community. Like I, I was. Like I said, I was that, you know, 16-year-old, maybe even 17-year-old at the time that was going to the Helltown Meltdown at the Cafe LA. Mm. Joe Run was the instrument to that, right? He was the conductor. He wasn't going by Joe Run at that time. It was like the witch doc or something, right? Mm. Um, but he put everybody up on stage. Like that whole project and his whole mentality was, you know, he, he would let anybody... You know all the MCs and, and and DJs just get together, and he was he built that community. He built mm. Halifax hip hop, right? Mm. And and I, and I was a part of that. I saw that. I knew that, right? So, 
I, I would see Joe Run walking down the street, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, hey, Joe, I know, I know that guy. I know what he did, but now he's coming into my store, and now he's giving me this opportunity. It was it, I didn't have to think twice about it. I just knew. Right? That, that's. But that was like for the first one. That was for the first project you dropped. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what was like? What was the circumstances that led you to proceed? Was it Joe Run wanted to do a follow up? Well, it sold out in forty eight hours. I'll <laughs> do it, man. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Sold out. Money, money talks, man. Like if you, if you, you know, outside of you know appreciating music and art, there's still a business to it all, right? Of course. We, and we can't operate at a loss all the time. So Joe Run is is our thoroughbred. He is our money maker. Right? Mm. He sells out like that. Yeah, I mean, Joe Run he's, he's is internationally, internationally known. known and respected. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, whenever he drops a new, like, mix he's working on or something, like, you have, like, Jazzy Jeff and, like, Pete Rock being like, yo, that's crazy. And I'm just like, yo, if Pete Rock commented on my shit, I think I would just shit myself. I wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Like, yeah, yeah, he's built his career up to the point where his peers now are, you know, Biz Marquee, Jazzy Jeff, you know, De La Soul. Um, you know, those are the guys that are calling him on the phone every day and talk. Like, those are his peers, right? You know what's funny about hip-hop and in general is, like, Joe Run really was a scene builder. Absolutely. He yeah. was one of the people that, like, you know, and people might contest what I'm about to say or whatever. Fuck him. <laughs> but he was a big part in a lot of people getting a shot or having a, a yep. platform or a venue to perform. And it comes around again with through Black Buffalo, right? Mm. And that's what exactly. I'm saying, right? And that's that's how that's why I'm more focused on Halifax East Coast and, and Canadian hip hop because that's you know, it's given back to the community, given back to where everything has come from. Right? Mm. And the so. funny thing about somebody like Joe Ron is like I feel like it's easy to be kind of jaded in the sense that like you did so much for the scene and you put on so many people like in your day, right? But if you ask like a real young artist, like somebody that's like coming up like about Joe Run or like if he say he never would approach them to do a song, they like would not see what a valuable opportunity like, you know. Like, whereas somebody like Pete Rock will be commenting, like, yo, that's fire. Yeah. But, like, somebody that's of the younger generation here that did, just didn't take the opportunity to learn who somebody was would dismiss somebody like Joe Run yeah. as just an old head. But that's why I appreciate, you know, yourself because you've taken the time to know your the pioneers of your own backyard. Of course. Right? You're not one of these guys that are just jumping in and trying to, you know, Joe tells me stories about, up-and-coming MCs approaching them for beats and he just lasts them off because they want to be before the, the, their name comes before Joe and Joe's like no no motherfucker no. it's Joe Run featuring you it's not yeah me. not vice versa right? yeah so you know some guys they don't understand that they got to pay their dues and respect they just mm. kind of jump up and try to try to you know yeah well, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Like, I love that there's all sorts of different styles of hip-hop. Mm -hmm. I think it's what makes it one of the most beautiful art forms is, like, you know, there's gangster rap, there's conscious shit, there's just having fun, you know, there's trap sounds, there's different aesthetics, right? Um, and I can respect anybody's aesthetic 
you know, as long as there's thought put into it. And they respect where the culture came from, right? Like, I don't, like, if you don't rap, if your style of rap isn't my cup of tea, I'm not just going to dismiss you as long as you have an understanding of where the culture came from. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, when I listen to, like, Big Daddy Kane and shit, right? And, like, what I'm going to say is going to be controversial, but I think it's fucking true, right? It's so, like, over the years of the, the art evolving, like, lyricism got more complex and depth and multi-syllables and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, people might be able to say, like, oh, I can rap better than Big Daddy Kane, right? But Big Daddy Kane created the precedent. yeah. You know, you you can rap the way you can because you have somebody else's shoulders to yeah, stand on. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, actually, Moe D created multi syllables, but Kane took it. Kane and G took it to that to that apex. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like you know, everything in rap is building off of what came before you, right? So like, you know, um, even if I'm not gonna make a song that sounds like somebody, like I will respect and know where it came from. Like, you know, when I heard Lil Yachty be like, I don't give a fuck about Tupac, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, even if Tupac's not your cup of tea, like that's, we're talking about a pivotal, influential person that impacted the entire culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's like lots of different incarnations of that. Like, you know, a lot of the aesthetic of hip hop these days comes from bone thugs. And three six mafia. And three six mafia. Yeah. Yeah, I I gotta be honest with you guys. I I took a, a huge hiatus of uh, of hip hop, probably around ninety seven, from like ninety seven to almost twenty fifteen. Hip hop was not my main um, source of uh, music. I would search for like. It, it was probably the last thing I would listen to and I would listen to it just because I was at a friend's house and that's what they were bumping. Uh, for me, it was everything from like stoner rock to, um, you know, bebop jazz from the 50s is where I would get my enjoyment of music. Mm. And it wasn't really until, um, you know, getting getting involved with Joe Run again and, and having that uh, breath of fresh air of hip hop back in me, like, it, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of the you know the golden era of hip hop, you know, the Big Daddy King, the Bismarckies, like the '88 mm. to '92 kind of stuff is where um, that's where I grew up. That's where I was you know heavily influenced. That was my teenage years. So like that that's where you you form most of your your musical preferences, right? Mm. Um, you know by the time I was in my mid twenties, um, went to university, exposed to a crazy amount of experimental drug taking, hip hop was not in my life style. Mm. It was not, it wasn't speaking to me, you know, like all the misogyny, all the crazy shit that was going on in the late nineties. It was mm. like, man, I, like, I don't want to be, you know, I, I can't get down with calling mm. people B words and N words. Like it's just not, I want to yeah. just kind of have fun. You were more right? about the peace, love, unity, having right? fun kind of. But, but on that though, it was just the music itself was not good. It was mm. a bunch of pop rap. Right? Mm. It was getting too mainstream. It was, it was just, it was, it was being more accepted in culture, and it was also being exploited as Watered well. Watered down right? and yeah, exploited. Bullshit, yeah. Right? So like, I, I found more interest in other genres of music, and and I think that helped myself um, just 
you know, broaden my awareness of, you know, how music is made and, and also uh, have a better appreciation for better hip hop, like good hip hop. Yes. You know what I mean? Like not just listen to every fucking MC that comes out and, and, and jumping on every different trend and style in hip hop. Like, no doubt. And, and, you know, when I heard a good thing, I, I know, oh, fuck, that's, that's a dope beat. That's a dope MC. Well, who's that? But I wouldn't be there listening to every, you know, everything that came out that year. Like, like when I was in my younger years, I consume it all, right? Well, you know, um, as somebody that is deeply involved in the culture and, like, loves the culture, sometimes, like, listening to rap becomes kind of overwhelming for me. Well, you're not Like, there's so much, right? you're, you're... there's so much ego and there's so much, like, uh, you know, that sometimes it kind of wears you down. You know what I mean? There's so much, like shit you got to work through like as a as a rap fan you know and as somebody that loves the culture and you know i went through like my period where like my big things like i really love like the oldies like motown stacks records kind of shit yeah like that's but my that's, shit. that's what hip-hop is built on hip-hop yeah. is not built on just one genre yeah, yeah. Right? and like so roots you can't reggae. just be in one genre yeah you're just you're just uh you're in an echo chamber it's just everything is just the same like if you want to Get some influence and be creative you got to look to other other ways man and, and that's what i appreciate with you know joe run and like moves and all these other producers um they're, they're not just focused in those ways right they're they're looking at the they know what the the blueprint of hip-hop is and and mm. they push those boundaries with the well through the of sampling too you have yeah. to be uh, you have to be aware of like global music in general mm. because you have to piece through all those pieces together and kind of well, like, put a piece some of my like biggest like some of the things that have influenced me in my songwriting has not been listening to other rap yeah exactly you know what i mean like you know sometimes like uh the aesthetic of like listening to aretha franklin you know what i mean like will put me in a vibe yeah. to like when i do hear that hip-hop beat like, yeah. i have this like like totally different like the well, approach to it than just like rapping at it you, you know look at mean? the beastie boys they started as a punk band mm. right and then they as they got more successful they brought punk and more live instrumentation back into their mm. to music right but yeah you know it, it, it's always good to have a, a, a wider vision or a, an open mind to music right because yeah. there's influences everywhere or even like uh ice tea with like body count yeah he went the other way. He <laughs> yeah. started off electro, went into more like mainstream gangster hip hop, and then he went into thrash metal. Yeah. <laughs>